when I got into the military, it was the first time that I had a goal in my life that this was something bigger than me. This was something that I couldn't even comprehend that I could potentially obtain. And I knew that if I didn't go for this with everything that I had that, that, and, and didn't make it, I had nothing else to go back to. This is a show for the driven, for the dreamers. This isn't for the make-believers. I can walk all day long, but my walk has to become my must. This is for the determined, the self-defined. For those ready to push fear aside, crush doubt, and unleash the hero from the inside out. You are wonderfully made. You are beautifully fashioned. You are created with purpose. This isn't just another podcast. It's about living a life that counts. All right, guys, what's up? This is John Williams, Life That Counts. I am with Dave Willie Williamson. Cannot wait to get into this man's life and to hear his story. We've already been talking about life under pressure as a deep water Navy diver, a thousand feet. How does that feel? That's intense. Uh, that's, that's some crazy pressure. Um, when you get down there under that kind of a, of a pressure, it's a whole different environment. Mm-hmm. Um, breathing, just every breath you take is difficult. It's, it's a, a heaviness to the it's, it's not air, it's a helox, a helium oxygen mixture. And uh, so it, it's, it's a very intense environment. Um, everything that you, that you know here, you know, at, at surface level is different down there. Infection grows unbelievably fast. Uh, you know, bacteria, uh, hyper grows unbelievable. Like a sickness that, that may take days to, to, to have a sniffle you'll, you'll be, you'll, you'll have uh, you'll be hacking up phlegm in a matter of hours from when you get the bug. Like that's how fast things happen down there. So it's a real intense environment and uh, what an experience that was. So you mentioned that six pull up in order to qualify. And then uh, t- tell me about what happens after, after you, after you get the go ahead, after you're approved to proceed, how, how's it go from there? You know, it was an interesting experience. So, um, you know, I was an 18-year-old kid, and I joined the Navy, and uh, I was a pretty unathletic, pretty unmotivated guy. Uh, went in the Navy because I really had nothing else going for me at that time in my life, and uh, I had aspirations to be a, a Navy diver. And, you know, so I had to go through a year of electronics school and ended up in uh, Great Lakes, Illinois, in the dead of winter. And uh, it's hard to get out and run. You know, there wasn't a lot of treadmills. And uh, all I knew is I had to, you know, I went through a year of this electronics program being a, a, it was an electronics technician. And I had to pass this, this diving entrance exam. It was sort of the bare minimum. If you could get through this, then you got the privilege to go proceed on with dive school. And uh, it was a, you know, at the time, that was my bar. I was like, if I can make it through the minimum physical requirements, I get to start dive school. And so that's where I set my training. And, uh, and so I, I passed the exam, um, the physical exam in Great Lakes. I got the orders cut, ended up out in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. 
and uh, found myself just completely outgunned. I, I looked around at all the people in my class and realized I'm a pretty unathletic dude. And uh, I'm surrounded by men who were coming from the fleet. They knew what they were getting into in the dive program. Uh, they had been training intensely for this. They had paid their dues. And they're kind of looking at me like, how did this kid squeak into this course? And, uh, and so my dive instructors, they used to, they love to make fun of me. Uh, they said that I was the Nintendo generation. And they said I had the strongest thumbs in the class from playing video games. And uh, so I, I got uh, part of the entrance exam was you had to do six pull-ups. And I got to the fifth pull-up and I squeaked, I barely squeaked out that sixth pull-up. And they all kind of looked at each other like, we're going to let this guy in. And they're like, he passed the test. We're going to let him go. And, uh, and then I was off, off into dive school. And that, you know, what I quickly found out was that was the floor. That was the beginning of, you know, from the physical standpoint of, of what was going to happen. And what was fascinating about that is, you know, I was so outgunned, but I was motivated. I was so, I had so much uh, desire uh, to be a, a Navy diver. That was the first time in my life that I set my aspirations towards something that I wanted more than anything, that I was willing to do whatever it took to get there. And so I'd show up every day and, and they would just dog me, uh, run us into the dirt. And what started to happen was I realized every day I started to get a little bit better, a little bit stronger. And I was watching these guys who had way more talent than me. They were way stronger than me, uh, smarter than me in every way. And I watched them start to fall by the wayside. And I, I started watching these guys quit and fall out and get, you know, get tossed out of the program. And through the course of this, I started to realize that it's not, it's not the, the natural talent or your abilities that you're born with that matter. What matters is the desire, the heart that you have for something. How hard are you willing to work for it? And that will transcend and supersede natural talent any day of the week. So it was a big learning point for me. Now, it's really interesting that you point that out. You know, I have a question that I want to come back to. I want to come back to why, uh, why a Navy diver, you know. But there's an observation in there, and I'm curious what got you here. Um, I it was only a couple of weeks ago that I, I think I finally found the answer to a question that I've been asked a lot of times. Um, so, and you've heard part of my background and part of my story. I grew up in a pretty rough environment, that sort of thing. By all the odds, I've kind of beat the odds. I should have been a statistic, but I'm not one. And when asked, why aren't you a statistic? Or why do you think you beat the odds? Or what do you think makes you different? For me, it's always been that, just like you said, you didn't quit. You kept running. You wanted to quit. Others were quitting. It would have been easy to quit. It would have been easy to give up, but you didn't. You just, you just kept going. And, and whatever was in front of you, you may not have had the grit or the fortitude or the, you may not have had what it took to beat it when you began but you stuck with it long enough that you, you grew the muscle, you know, you grew the mental muscle, you grew the physical muscle, you grew the persevering muscle to show up 
and I hear that, and I'm curious, where does where do you think that comes from for you? Was it an influence in your life? Was it early childhood experience? Like, what was that for you? What what created that sense of I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit pushing weight. What did that for you? Yeah, that's, that's interesting, you know, because my life prior to that, my, you know, as a, as a kid growing up in Northern Virginia, um, in my high school and everything, I, I had some, uh, some tough times, you know, I, I kind of got off track. I became a very angry person. Um, my father was an angry man. Um, and that's a whole nother topic, you know, and, and I understand, uh, you know, in, in, in finding forgiveness for, for who he was, I had to understand his upbringing and what created him and made him who he was. And he didn't have the skills. Um, there wasn't the prevalence of the available information that we have now to, kind of go within yourself, figure out what's going on and improve as a person. It just wasn't there. So he sort of carried forth the issues that he had into the relationship with my mother, which created a very um, intense environment for our household. He was a retired army officer. Um, he was a cop. Uh, he was, he was very negative. He was very angry. Um, and, and, and I get that. So that environment was something that I was very uncomfortable and I wanted to get out of that as quick as I could. So I, I was 18, I was gone, you know, out of the house. And I, I just, I didn't have any aspirations. I fell into a lot of trouble. I was a real um, handful as a kid in, in trouble and in fights and bad grades and hanging out with the wrong group and all the bad stuff. And when I got into the military, it was the first time that I had a goal in my life that this was something bigger than me. This was something that I couldn't even comprehend that I could potentially obtain. And I knew that if I didn't go for this with everything that I had that, that and didn't make it, I had nothing else to go back to. It's not like I was going to go back home. It's not like I wanted to go swab decks on a ship or go scoop out Chili Mac, you know, in the, in the, in the line you know, in the galley, yeah. I was like, I had one goal. And as far as I was concerned, I, I went to the beach, I burned the ship, I had no plan B. Right. So my only plan was get through this at any cost. And I didn't care. It, there was nothing they were going to do that was going to make me quit. I just had that in my mind. And so that was just the first time that I had that kind of focus, that kind of intensity, that kind of drive. And so, so that, that was the reason it, it, it formed there. It formed in that, in that environment of it, this is sink or swim and, and my life depends on this. So that, that's what was the first time in my life that I had that intensity of like, if I, if I go all in, I'll make it through. And, and that's, that was a huge growing point, a huge learning lesson for me in my life, getting through that program. You know what I'm hearing you say, that no plan B thing and that burn the ships thing. I mean, dude, I think that's where it's at because it's, it's kind of like, okay, if this doesn't work out, I don't even want to think about what happens if this doesn't work out, right? I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the, I don't have the capacity 
to even process life done differently if this doesn't work out. So I'm going to put myself in a position to make this, whatever this is, I'm going to put myself in a position to where there's no, there's no escape plan. There's no eject button. I'm all in. Like I'm all in. I'm curious, were you ever, were you ever tempted to throw up your hands? Were you ever tempted to walk away from it? Were you ever, I mean, did you, do you, did you have days in there where you thought, I don't know, man, I don't know if this is for me. I, you know, maybe, maybe I can, you know, maybe I can drop out and go back and do something else. Did you ever experience any of those moments? Yeah, absolutely. If I said anything otherwise, that would be a lie. Um, you know, there was, there was days that, that I had to stop running and just puke my brains out, you know, or you're swimming with, with these weights on and you get a, a cramp in your calf, you know, and you're going to go to the bottom of the pool or, you know, you're, you're in this frigid cold pool water with no wetsuit and you're literally shivering in blue and, mm. you know, the instructors are down there. It, there was a period called pool week. And, you know, that was the first time I ever put a regulator in my mouth. That was the first time I ever breathed compressed air um, was in, you know, when I was learning to do it there and the, the instructors w- would go down and they call, call them the sharks and we would go down and, and they would come down, they would attack us and they would rip the regulator out of your mouth and they'd spin you around and slam you to the bottom of the pool and tie your regulator in knots behind your back. And, for me, it was terrifying, you know? I mean, like, I, I felt like I was going to just freak out and drown. And, but it was, it, was go, oh, it was pushing through that and overcoming that to get to that space where, you know, close your eyes, find your calm, find your center, let them do their thing, and then calmly get your stuff back together and get your gear back on. But there was, you know, I can't tell you how many times I thought about quitting but the second that thought would come in, I would push it out and, and say, that's just not an option. Keep going. And uh, so, so, yeah, definitely had those thoughts, but I just wouldn't allow them the, I wouldn't give them the real estate in my brain to take root. I would push them out as soon as they would come in and just focus on getting through it. I'm thinking here, if I'm 12, year, if I'm 12 years old, pool week sounds really fun, especially if we're going to play Sharks and Minas all week, right? This is a completely different game of Sharks and Minnows, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it was different. It was different. I'll never forget one of the guys in our class shot to the surface and uh, held his breath. And that's probably one of the biggest no-nos. And he got his, his lungs tore open. And he got uh, something called the arterial gas embolism. Mm. Um, blood straight into his, his blood vessels, into his arteries, straight to his brain. Uh, lost function, collapsed on the pool deck. And we had to shut down training, rush him to the, uh, to the boat where we had a pressure chamber, a recompression chamber, and, uh, and press him down to depth to get the bubbles to shrink, to, to reflow before he had these permanent neurological deficits. And wow. so, you know, the, the risks uh, just from the training were very real, you know. But I can tell you this, that training saved my life on more than one occasion because when I got into the real world, started – being a real diver, professional diver and doing this stuff for real, there was a couple of times that had I not had that training, I wouldn't be here right now. So there's a reason they put you through that. 
You know, I'm, I'm curious. You, you do uh, real estate now as well, right? I do. Yeah, I'm a real estate investor. I'm, I'm curious how many times you have felt like the market has spun you around, ripped your regulator out of your mask or out of your mouth, tied it in knots behind your back, behind your back and pushed you to the bottom of your pool. You know, so I've, I've got to think when you talk about real world training, it, it's even the it's even kind of the metaphorical training. So in order to be able to calm down and find your center. So if you're if you're talking to someone right now who if there's someone listening and they don't have the experience of that training. Right. Or they've not been given the life experience of because, man, I mean, Willie, that's an that's an amazing environment that you were able to subject yourself to. The training that you were able to subject yourself to is like second to none, right? I mean, talk about being prepared to handle whatever life throws at you in many regards. You were trained. What would you say to that person who's yet to had have had those experiences? You know, the one thing that I've learned is that and it, it translates to life, you know, that, that environment is a, is a metaphor for life. And, you know, things get turned upside down right now as a real estate investor, it's crazy time for me. You know, I have a rental portfolio that, that I manage, you know, I've got uh, over 20 rental properties and, you know, everything has, has changed in that environment. My, my real estate investments, I buy and sell houses, make them pretty, sell them, flip houses. Uh, that's completely changed. And so I'm in a crazy turbulent time right now. And to answer your question, it's the same thing like when I would get, you know, in those life-threatening situations, panicking and freaking out, getting upset, running in a direction without thinking about it is a recipe for disaster. So in these moments of chaos and craziness, you got to just almost take a breath, center yourself, say everything's going to be okay, and then start to think about logically, you know, how am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? How am I going to be smart with this? And, and that's rooted in a, a very stable frame of mind. And, and the way that you obtain that, frame of mind is by controlling what, what you're consuming. So, you know, you've got your physical being your, your health. So you're, you're, you're consuming enough water, you're eating healthy foods, you're taking care of your machine of your meat suit, you know, as I call it, this thing that, that we wear, but more importantly, what's going in here, you know, what's going in your eyes and your ears, because if you're feasting on, that thing on the wall that I call the fear box, you know, the television, because every time you turn it on, they're telling you we're all going to die. You know, if, if that's what you're, you're, you're consuming and listening to, you're going to, your state's going to be drugged down. But if you can focus on things that fill you up, that make you feel full, that make you feel abundant, you take that headspace, you bring it into the environment that you're in, you're going to make smart decisions. You're going to do things that benefit you, that benefit your family. And it's not going to be out of fear. It's going to be out of excitement. It's going to be out of possibility. It's going to be out of, uh, we're not going to survive this. We're going to thrive through this. So it's, it's, it's managing your mind properly by managing what you consume in, in your physical and in, in your mental being. 
couldn't agree with you more. You had a very clearly defined thing you wanted to accomplish in that you wanted to become a Navy diver. How did you know that's what you wanted to do? The truth is I, I didn't know. Um, when I, this is, this is so funny. When I was a little kid, uh, I had GI Joe and you know, it was those, those like little, uh, you know, 12 inch GI Joes and you had the fuzzy head. It was my favorite toy. I, I had all of them. Yep. And my favorite one of all of them was, was the Frogman. And I had a Creek out behind my house. And so I would take my Frogman GI Joe and, and I would just play in the Creek for hours you know, just adventures in the creek with G.I. Joe, swimming and exploring and, you know, checking the creek out. And when I started realizing I didn't have a lot of options coming out of high school, I couldn't afford college. And even if I could, I wasn't mentally prepared to go there and, and, and perform in any sort of way. And I started looking at, uh, at my options in the military. And of course, I wanted to do something. I wanted to be a pilot. And they're like, sorry, son, you, you know, you, you're not there. You got to have a college degree. You got to, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of at a different level. You got to start at the bottom. We, you can turn wrenches on aircraft, but you can't fly them. And, uh, and so as I started to kind of just look at my options, I said, all right, I want to be a, a frogman. So I went to the recruiter and I said, I want to be a frogman, a Navy frogman. He's like, you mean a seal? And I was like, yeah, I want to be a seal. And he said, do you know what that is? I was like, no, they dive, right? He goes, yeah, they dive, but, but they also jump out of airplanes, they carry guns, they run a marathon every day, uh, they kill people. And I'm like, whoa, 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 I'm more of a lover, not a fighter. I, I, want, I, want, I want the adventure, but I don't want to kill people. And, uh, and he goes, you want to be a Navy diver? And I was like, sign me up. And, that, and that's sort of how that started. That's really cool. <laughs> Man, you just took me back. I had some of those GI Joes, and the one that I'm, uh, I had one too. It was the the Arnold the Arnold Schwarzenegger. I I can't remember the movie, but he's all like camoed out, you know, and he's got like M16, you know, thing jackets wrapped around his chest, and he's got this big, and he's just ready to go, right? Um, you know, it's really interesting because you, in discovering what you wanted to do, you you had an understanding of what you didn't want to do you didn't want to be the guy to pull the trigger. You, you didn't want to be the guy to take a life. And that helped you define your, what you, your pattern, like what you did want to do. And that's, that's how, how did you know, like how old are you? What? 18, 19 years old, 17, 18 years old when you're having this conversation with a recruiter. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I just, you know, it wasn't a, I just had that feeling, you know, I'm just like, I just don't want to go kill people. Like that just didn't resonate with me. You know, like the, I get it. I get, I love, Hey, I love guns. I love shooting guns. I I love, uh, you know, I love adventure, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the thought of, of taking another life at that time for me and still is, is something I just didn't want to be a part of. Um, so I just kind of, kind of stuck that, that in the ground and said, well, I'm just going to hold on to that. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do in the military that, that don't require you being the, the tip of the spear, you know, and God bless and thank, 
thank the Lord for those guys that do that stuff. Cause we need those guys, you know, to make things happen. But I just knew that that wasn't resonating with my soul of who I am as a person. I hope, I really hope people hear what you just said, because I think sometimes in different contexts and, and I don't want to go into all this, but we, you know, we, our culture really does an amazingly poor job of stereotyping others. And I, I really hope people hear what you just said of, Hey, you know what? I, I knew I wanted to serve. I knew I wanted to contribute, but I just wasn't that guy that just wanted to go out and take a life. It, it was, it, it went against my core fabric and my core being. I really appreciate you sharing that, man. Um, you know, part of my decision in not becoming a Marine was, uh, so I, I graduated high school in uh, 1999 and I would have finished, you know, basics and AIT right around. I would have been ready to go by September 11, 2001, you know, and, and I reflect back on that and I'm kind of with you, man, I'm in that same boat. I, I thank God for the guys who did that. Like I, I know one of the doormen who raided um, uh, um, uh, Bin Laden's palace, you know, and I thank God for that guy. He's an amazing dude. Um, he's a pastor now of all things, right? Like he's a preacher. It's like, how do you do that? You know, he's like the biggest preacher I've ever seen in my life, but he's a preacher, you know? And so I thank God for that guy. But anyway, Willie, I just really appreciate you sharing that. Um, you and Jen, when did you guys meet? How did you guys come together? Like, where's the story there? Yeah, it was, uh, it was in Hawaii. It was, you know, after I, I be, so what happened was when I finished the dive school, the guys, I, I, the, the instructors and the staff there sort of became, they, they kind of came to love me because I was such an underdog when I showed up. They didn't think I'd be around, you know, at all. Next thing you know, I'm sticking it through it. I think there was 12 guys that graduated in our class. We were called the Dirty Dozen. Nice. And they needed somebody there with the electrical skills that I had. And they picked me out of the class and said, guess what? You're staying here. We want you to be one of us. You're going to be an instructor here at the dive school. Nice. Like, that sounds pretty cool. It was in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii on Ford Island. And uh, it was a, pretty much a dream job. And so me and these guys, uh, we had the best time being instructors. And one of the things we would do is we would do these, what they called MTTs or these mobile training teams. And we would go out to Okinawa, Japan, and we would work with the Marine recon guys out there. And part of their pipeline is they go through their jump program and then they go to scuba school. So they get their jump wings and their scuba bubble. And so we would train them in scuba. And uh, some, you know, most of the time they'd come out to Hawaii, but every once in a while we'd fly out there and do some classes for those guys. So I was out there on a, a mobile training team teaching the recon guys scuba. And uh, when I came back off of this trip, which was a four, six week trip or something like that, um, I went to the local bar with all my buddies, the dive bar. And uh, all my buddies showed up with this amazingly hot girl. And I was like, who is she? And she was also in the military. This is Jen, my wife now. She was also, uh, she just came from Diego Garcia and got there right as I was leaving for Okinawa. And so instantly I looked at her, man, and it was like fireworks going off. Like it was, 
love at first sight. You know, if you believe in that, I, I certainly do. And, uh, and that was it, man. It was meant to be. And we just started our adventure together at that point. That's so cool, man. Uh, I do believe in love at first sight. My wife, who was actually sitting at the conference table in the next room over. Um, so I transferred into her school my senior year. And uh, I, I won't tell the whole story, but either I'd ran into her a couple of weeks before I transferred into school or a couple of weeks after. But I remember the first time I ever laid eyes on her. And uh, if I say Sonic, do you know what I'm talking about? The, the food place, the restaurant where you yeah. like car out to. So it's like a Sunday night and she's like walking to sit down at a table with her family, you know. And she has her little uh, church dress outfit on or whatever. And I guess I'm like drooling at her while trying to eat my food. I was done, man. The, the first time I went to her house, it was, it was over, you know, I was just, uh, yeah, it, yeah, I'm good. Rest of my life. I'm good. Like no worries whatsoever. So I feel that man. So you guys have, you guys have worked pretty hard to build, build a pretty great life together. Surely that's been all easy, right? piece of cake man somebody came and handed it to us on a silver platter that's how that works that's how (laughs) tell me just you know tell me man for you know for some of the guys who are a couple of hopeless romantics like us um you know how does that how does that work out what are some of the struggles and challenges you have in you know becoming a husband and becoming that man to lead your family man that's a that's a big a big question um, I guess the one thing I'll say is it, it ain't easy. You know, it, 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 here's the thing. These days we get from people all the time. They look at the life that we live right now and they say, man, I want what you have. You guys have a perfect marriage. You've got amazing children. You know, you're successful. Like, wow. But, but all they're seeing is that proverbial tip of the iceberg. It's that little bit that sticks out. That's what they're seeing. But they're not seeing the massive iceberg, the ice that's under the water, you know, what it took to get to this place that we were so blessed to be in right now. Yeah. And that's years of, of, I mean, highs and lows, struggle. You know, we were on the verge of getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, countless fights about how I parented because I, I very mistakenly was parenting like my father was. Um, so the struggle, the strife, the effort that went into creating what we can enjoy now is profound. So it ain't easy. You know, there's nothing easy about it. It's kind of like dive school. You know, you, 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 Put your mind on, hey, divorce is not an option. Quitting this is not an option. So let's make this work and do whatever it takes to get through whatever situation it is that we've been through. We've been married for 26 years now. Whatever it takes to get through that and get us on the other side. And it can't be one-sided. That is both of us coming together as a team. Because, you know, one person is not a team. It takes two. And unless you're both committed, unless you're both willing to put in the work, it's not going to happen. So the first thing to do is commit to each other. And then you can commit to your goals. Mm. 
That's gold. It's absolute truth. And you know what? We live in this, we live in a culture right now that it feels like I was just having a coaching meeting with a 20 year old, you know, he's working around the clock. He wants to have everything now, you know, he wants to retire at 28 or 29. And I'm like, why? And it's kind of like, Oh, I want it all now. I've got to work harder. I've got to work faster. I've got to, you know, this sort of thing. And you know, sometimes it's just like what you said, Willie, sometimes you have to stop and sometimes you have to say, okay, am I doing things the right way? Am I, you, you mentioned parenting like your father. And part of my experience was I've never met my biological father and I grew up with an alcoholic uncle and I, I grew up with a mom who did her level best to raise two boys, you know, and how do you, how, I mean, how, how do you, how do you demonstrate good parenting? How do you become a good father? How do you become a great husband? How do you do those things? And I think the way that you do those things is just like you just said, you, you put your focus in there, you narrow, you block out everything out, you block out everything else and you just keep going forward towards your goal. I think, you know, there, I think it's so, I think it's so easy, man, for people to be distracted by stuff in our culture. I think it's so easy to turn on social or to listen to the next greatest, or even to turn on the fear box. Like you mentioned it, I'm going to steal that from you. The fear box. I like that. That's, that's true. I think the fear box could also be Facebook too, but that's another conversation. <laughs> Not it's, a, it's whatever you allow to be the fear box. Cause exactly. it's all, it's plentiful and it's all around us. Yeah. Know? That's exactly right. All right, man. I want to ask you this question. I, I have one last question for you, Willie. And I'm really looking forward to your answer. My last question for you is how would you define or to you, what does it mean because I think you're living one, okay? Like I, from listening, from hearing your story, I think you're absolutely living one. But how would you define what it means to live a life that counts? That's a great question, man. That's a deep question. Um, I think that living a life that counts, I, I think it starts with yourself. I think it starts with looking in, in the mirror and understanding who you are as a person, understanding your strengths, your flaws, and working in a way to become the best version of yourself. Hitting those flaws, trying to make them better, taking your strengths, amplifying those, and then taking your refined version of yourself, the, the best person that you, you've created, that in, because we don't go find ourselves, we create ourselves. We become who who we desire to be. What you what you look at is become what becomes what you think about. Becomes who you are. You know, back to the eyes and the ears. So, becoming the best version of yourself, and then taking your strengths, your gifts, your talents, bringing those to the world. And I think the first place that starts is in the home. It's with your family. It's with being the best dad that you can be, with being the best husband that you can be. And 
that that alone starts to create legacy. It creates, you know, somebody that your your kids can look back on and go, man, my dad was awesome. Like he he wasn't perfect, but man, he loved me and he 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 took care of our family and he did this and he made these great decisions for us. And it's leaving legacy with your family. And and then it, it becomes not just becoming successful with your work. That's one thing, you know, to provide for your family. But, you know, how, how do you step beyond that? How do you, you come out of success and step into significance? So now you haven't just affected your family, but now you're affecting the world. You're putting your stuff out there. You're changing people's lives. You're making the world better than when you left it. And the thing to think about is the day that you get put in the ground, who's standing around your funeral and what are they saying about you? And if you can envision that, then you can always say, well, this is what I would want people to remember me for, or this is the impact I wanted to have on the world. And then you go for that. And I think that, that kind of culmination is living a life that matters, a life that counts. Amen, dude. 100%. 100%. It is an absolute pleasure getting to chat with you. It is an absolute pleasure to get to mix it up with you. Um, Mad respect, man. Mad respect for who you are. Mad respect for what you're doing. Mad respect for what you've done. Uh, (laughs) Like, Willie, I'm a fan, just so you know. Yeah, man, I think you're crushing it. I think you're absolutely crushing it. Um, and I got to tell you, I, I, I love your, I love just your low key level tones approach. Um, part of me wishes I was more like that. So, uh, man, dude, yes. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on and sharing today. It's, uh, really, it's a gift to get to hear your story. And I think, I think if our, I think if our, if our listeners, if people can hear what you're saying, Hey, look, focus in right? Focus in on your, focus in on your thing, whatever it is, whether it's a Navy diver, whether it's your marriage, if it's as a husband, as a father, business, focus in, put on the blinders, don't get distracted, just keep kicking, just keep doing your part. Regardless of what's going on with the externals around you, just keep kicking, just keep doing your part. Dude, that's huge. And thank, thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing that. I so resonate with that message. And I say, uh, if I can give my kids and my team anything and the folks that we serve, that's the message that I want to give them. That focus in and take ownership for what you can control. That's huge. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, and I just want to throw back at you, man, that, you know, I'm just, I'm a fan. I am so, uh, it, 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 it's so good to see what you're doing to bring goodness to the world, to bring awareness, to be just trying to be a better person and, uh, and be a better father, a better spouse. You know, what, what you're doing is important in its significance and it's leaving your legacy. So thank you for your work. Oh man. Yeah. It's, um, it's a blessing dude to get to do what we do. And, uh, if anything's worth doing wrong, if anything's worth doing, it's worth doing wrong because you can eventually figure out how to get it right, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. 
everyone, Willie Williamson, tell, tell them where they can find you online. You know, I appreciate that. I don't have a huge online presence. I'm not trying to be a, an influencer or anything, but I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. And I'm really excited about it. I'm really proud about it. Um, my family, we've come together, the four of us, and we've decided to do something really special, really creative with our time in this pandemic environment. Yeah. And so what we've done, rather than binging on Netflix or watching the fear box, We've come together and said, what, what are we going to do from this that's going to help us grow and become better? So we've created something. We're calling it the Unshakable Family Series. So if you go to the unshakablefamily.com, uh, there's going to be a, a, we're doing interviews of 21 influencers, uh, industry leaders, experts, John, yourself being one of those. And, we're, and, and your interview was amazing. I can't wait for people to see that. But my wife, Jen, is talking to, different people to see what they're doing to get through this crazy environment that we're living in. How are we growing? How are we going to get better? How are we bringing our family together? So my family is doing, it's a family effort. I'm kind of like overseeing the whole thing. Jen's the face. She's the talent. Zoe, our daughter's the artistic creator. My son, Zach is doing all the nuts and bolts and creating the website and all that. So this is a true family effort just to put something out in the world that's really good. So that's what I'm working on, the, the unshakablefamily.com. Please check it out, and uh, we'd love to, to have you join us. Now families everywhere are going to be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. I love that collective effort. That's, uh, that's very cool. Well, guys, y'all, y'all check them out. Check out the website. And it was, it was a pleasure to have been uh, interviewed by your wife. Great conversation. I enjoyed it the the freedom and the to just be vulnerable and speak out of past experiences um i don't think any of us have all the answers but i think when we have the opportunity to come together in a collaborative effort man we can create something great for the world you know so all right, right. It's a, all right willie thanks for being on all right, guys, for, so for this episode of Life That Counts, I really hope you just caught what Willie had to say. If there is something that you want to do, well, first, you kind of need to know who you're not wanting to be in life so that that can help guide you toward that thing you can pour all of your passion, all of your purpose, all of your energy into and just plug away and just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. I'm sorry that comes to mind. <laughs> Little Nemo, right? But, uh, but that's basically what you do, right? You just keep, you just keep going. So everyone, so that's a wrap for this episode. Willie, thanks for being on. Dude, Thank a you, John. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of Life That Counts. Tune in next time for more insight with host John Williams.